<laughs> well, the title of this message is called Seeing Clearly, and I was joking with, with Mike, so I think he just went through the songbook and tried to find all the songs that talks about seeing and vision and all that. Um, so we've talked, we, <laughs> he denies it, but we all know it's true. Um, <laughs> But uh, we've sung songs about, uh, about having a clear vision, but we're going to actually be looking at a passage of scripture that talks about what blocks our vision. Because we're going to be asking, what's, what is seeing clearly? Uh, are we seeing clearly? So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, as we continue our series called Normal Church, the Everyday Calling for Everyday Christians. The purpose of this series is to be as practical as possible. Uh, that we can walk away uh, from each one of these uh, messages with some clear action steps. Hey, this is how I can, as a church member, as part of the body of Christ, here's some clear things that I can do to, to build the body up in love, to speak the truth and love to each other. Last week, we looked at five practical ways that you can help each other before you're ready, uh, to, to, before you're ready to share scriptural advice. We said that anyone can notice, anyone can invite, Anyone can listen, anyone can pray, and anyone can read the Word of God with each other. And uh, these are things that should be happening, whether you're sharing advice to someone else or not. And perhaps, you, maybe even some of you have, have put that into practice. Maybe you've been looking for um, just trying to notice more and seeing those around you that you can reach out to and show hospitality toward. I hope that's the case. Uh, but it's at this point in our series, I really want to move forward toward the specifics of helping each other by speaking the truth in love, right? The mission for the normal Christian. The divinely appointed means by which we build up our church family in love, reaching greater maturity in Christ. If we are not speaking to each other with the word of God, if we're not provoking each other to love and good works, if we're not encouraging each other every day while it's called today, then we aren't working properly as members in the church. There must be truth being delivered in order to others in the spirit of love. And so tonight, I want us to prepare ourselves to speak the truth in love to help others by asking an important question. Are you seeing clearly? And here's why this question is so important. Because truth can be delivered in the wrong way. Or... The wrong truth can be delivered altogether. In short, sometimes we deliver truth not in love. We speak truth not in love. So if we're going to build up the body of Christ, we, we might need to dismantle some sinful ways in which we might interact with each other in the church. And we're going to ask the question, are you seeing clearly? We're going to be looking together tonight in Matthew 7. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And while this passage is describing things we should avoid as Christians, notice the reason why we should avoid these things. Look at the end of verse 5. Why should we see clearly? So that we can remove the speck from our brother's eye. 
So everything we talk about tonight is for the purpose of helping our brothers and sisters in Christ in an effective and loving way. In other words, we need to be able to see clearly in order to actually help each other. And, these, and this passage gives us two approaches that we need to avoid, two spirits that we might have within ourselves that we need to be aware of. And the first one we see in our passage is the spirit of harsh critique. We see this in verses 1 through 2. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, this is by far one of the most misquoted and misunderstood passages in all of the Bible. Judge not has become the official slogan for anyone trying to keep people out of their business to do what they want and avoid accountability for their actions. It's a real quick zinger. Judge not, right? I always find it humorous that people think that the, that the idea, you know, don't judge me because only God can judge me is somehow less intimidating um, than other people judging. You know, if it's between God judging me and other people judging me, uh, other people is a little bit less intimidating. But this is by far one of the most misquoted and misunderstood passages. So as we consider this tonight, let's see if we can clearly understand what these verses are telling us to avoid. And we'll do that by be understanding the word judge. In what way are we to judge not? This is a word that has a wide range of meaning. It can mean different things in different contexts. So let's think through what does it mean when we, we're commanded by Jesus Christ to judge not? What is it saying? What is it not saying? Well, the first thing I want to note is that these verses are not calling us to suspend critical thinking. All right? Jesus himself commanded in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Okay, so there in that same verse, it gives a wrong way of judging and a right way of judging. Judge righteous judgment. In other words, we're not talking about suspending critical thinking. We have to be discerning. These verses are not calling us to stay out of each other's business. Quite the contrary, the Bible tells Christians to be in each other's business. When Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up, how to provoke one another to love and good works, that's very intrusive language. It, it means to prod each other on, to be in each other's lives. In fact, when someone in the church is struggling with sin, it is your business to help them. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Even in our passage, Matthew 7, verse 5, we are called to help our brother. And that takes a level of judgment that can discern and spot the speck that is in his eye. So it's not talking about stay out of each other's business. If, you, if you're a part of a church and that's your mindset, my business is my business, your business is yours business, let's just live and let live and ignore each other, then you're not being the church to each other. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to be provoking each other to love and good works. These verses are also not saying that any judging in any form isn't allowed in the church. Um, turn over briefly, uh, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul is talking with the church there in Corinth about a particular situation in which they had a professing believer who was in uh, serious sin. And uh, they were tolerating it. They weren't dealing with it properly. We find in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that, uh, that Paul says, 
Now listen, I never told you guys not to, to, to stay away from unbelievers who are guilty of certain sins, because if that were the case, I'd have to take you out of the world. Uh, you're, not, you're not to judge those outside the world, but, but, but I am telling you not to associate someone who bears the name of brother uh, and is guilty of these sins. Look at verse 11 of our passage. He says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Okay, so right there he says, outsiders, those outside the church, Christians aren't supposed to be judging them. That's God's job. But he says this, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, but purge the evil person from among you. And so this passage tells us that one of the functions of believers is to judge those inside the church. And this is within the context of church discipline, that we are called to assess the life of an unrepentant church member and seek to restore them to the faith through loving confrontation and call to repentance. And when those, uh, when those attempts are unheeded, there comes a point at which that person is removed from the congregation, or in the language of 1 Corinthians 5, purging the evil person from among you. This is a type of judging that should take place in the church. So if it's not talking about making judgment calls, if it's not talking about speaking into each other's lives, if it's not talking about making judgments regarding unrepentant members in the church, what is it talking about? Well, I believe what it's talking about is, is the point of, 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 of this sermon, that it is a spirit of harsh critique, a judgmental spirit. That's what he's saying when he says judge not. This is a spirit that comes short of genuine love. In other words, a judgmental person is not trying to graciously help someone. A judgmental person is someone who is constantly passing verdicts on the conduct of others, perhaps even assigning motives and intentions. That is the spirit, a judgmental spirit. It's a spirit of condemnation. This is someone who quickly and readily finds faults in others. Let's consider some other passages that address this similar problem. Turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 is addressing a particular issue in the early church. There was a controversy about whether or not you should eat meat that was offered to idols. And there was two camps of thought in here, in the church. Those, especially those coming from a, a, a Gentile background, were a little bit more nervous or hesitant about eating meat offered to idols uh, because, because of the association connected with it. And then others weren't bothered by it at all. And in verse, chapter 14, uh, look at verse 3 with me, down to verse 4. Paul tells him, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So in this context, again, meat offered to idols, some were okay with it, some weren't. And those who felt compelled to abstain from this really are the ones who had the weak or perhaps more sensitive conscience. And so Paul tells those who eat that they should not despise the ones who abstain. And the ones who abstain should not pass judgment on the one who eats. And then he gives the reason why you are not to pass judgment. Verse 4, 
Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And here we see an essential reason why passing judgment, having a judgmental spirit on others is to be avoided. You're seeking to usurp the role of God as the righteous judge. You are trying to pass judgment on someone else's servant. Another passage that makes this point, look, turn over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 11. James tells us, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And this, this, this question, who are you to judge your neighbor? is put alongside of the phrase speaking evil against one another. And the reason why this is condemned is the same. There is one lawgiver, one judge, he is able to save and to destroy. He's, here's the point in both of these passages. A judgmental spirit is wrong because in passing judgment on everyone around you, having a harsh critical spirit who is passing verdicts on everybody you see, in, in what you're doing, it's a sinful twist on God's job as the righteous and perfect judge. One more passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Paul is talking about his own testimony toward the Corinthian church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5, but, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This passage points out our human limitations in judging. We almost never know the full picture. We don't even know, fully know ourselves. And so therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time because God will disclose all secrets. He is the only one who can perfectly judge. And so as we turn to our passage in Matthew 7, we see, we see the, the reason why we should avoid this spirit of harsh critique. Judge not. Don't have this judgmental, condem condemning, critical, harsh, critical spirit. Judge not. Why? That you be not judged. Now on its face, we might conclude... That this is saying, don't judge others because they'll dish it right back. Or, if you don't want others to judge you, don't judge them. That's kind of how I always read it and understood it. But I actually believe that the meaning of this warning is far more serious. I don't think it's referring to the judgment of others. I believe it's referring to the judgment of God. In other words, if you possess a judgmental spirit... If you put yourself in the position of judge, jury, and executioner, then you're making yourself accountable to the one true judge. In fact, in Jewish writings, the, the Talmud, which is kind of a commentary, we find these words, Do not assume the place of God by deciding that you have the right to stand in judgment over all. Do not do it, I say, in order to avoid being called to account by the God whose place you usurp. 
And so there's a difference between being discerning and being judgmental. There's a difference between being perceptive and being censorious. This spirit can so easily creep into our churches. And if you have a harsh, judgmental spirit, chances are you don't think you have it because that other person has it, right? But one thing is clear. If you possess a judgmental spirit, if you have a spirit of harsh critique, you are in no place to speak the truth and love to others because you don't possess humility. You don't possess love. So you may ask, well, how do I know? How do I know if I have a judgmental spirit? What if, what if I'm just super discerning, right? What if I'm just really good at just finding the sins in everybody else, right? Who says I'm judgmental? Well, here's maybe some questions that you can ask yourself. This is an exhaustive list, list perhaps, uh, to help you get you started. Am I constantly, whether vocally or internally, noticing and pointing out the faults of those around me? Is that your default mode? Now, again, Faults will arise and you'll notice them. I can't say, I'm not saying you, you can be blind to faults, but I'm saying what's your default mode? Are you just finding them everywhere? Whenever you see a face, whenever you see a person, the first thing you think of is what's wrong with that person? Do I regularly assign a motive to someone's actions without knowing the full story? I know why they did that. I, I know why when I, when I said hi to that person, and they just kinda, kinda gave me the look. I know why they gave me that look, right? They hate me, right? <laughs> Maybe they were, you know, didn't sleep long last night, right? We assign motives immediately. We think, I know exactly why they did that. We're judging, we are assigning motives. What about this? Do I shun people in church because I disagree with them? They are not worth my time. I have, I have decreed, I have made a verdict. How about this one? When you notice a fault in another, does it move you to help them or to condemn them? You see, one thing we do, and probably a great indicator of whether or not we're being judgmental or just being discerning, is when we do see a fault, what's our next step? Is it talking about that to somebody else? Is it just thinking about it in your own head? Or is it actually, hey, you know what? I can help with it. I can help them. I can move toward them. If your assessment of someone's actions does not move you to help, but rather to condemn, you have a judgmental spirit. And you won't see clearly to speak the truth in love if you are blinded by a judgmental spirit. In fact, I ask you sincerely, if you have a judgmental spirit of harsh critique, please refrain from trying to speak the truth to others for right now. But the problem is oftentimes those of us who struggle with a judgmental, harsh, critical spirit, often the first to be the truth tellers, right? The, 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 The prophet declaring the word of God. And oftentimes we don't see our own problem. We don't see our own harsh, critical, judgmental spirit. And so until we have a heart of love and compassion, it's best not to speak, rather than speaking the wrong truth in the wrong way. And so, be aware of the spirit of harsh critique. But as we continue in our passage, we talk about, we, we discover the, the danger of a spirit of hypocritical kindness. Hypocritical kindness. 
We see this in verses 3 through 4. Jesus describes this second issue in very vivid terms. While a judgmental and critical person often has little interest in actually helping, the hypocritically kind person is a little too confident and eager to help. They consider themselves to be very perceptive and discerning and are eager to step in and assist those who are in need, but their lack of self-awareness ends up impacting their effectiveness as their unaddressed and obvious sins are readily apparent to everyone else around them. This is how Jesus describes it. Again, verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? This imagery is actually really funny. I mean, Jesus kind of had a sense of humor here, I think. It's so over the top that it's incredibly effective at making Jesus' point. Just imagine someone with a massive two-by-four lodged in his eye, sticking out eight feet in front of him, right? And Mr. Plank is just walking around, knocking things over, and he sees someone else rubbing their eye, right? So he's got this big plank sticking out of his eye, and he sees someone over in the corner kind of rubbing his eye, kind of irritated. And so... He stops to take a closer look. And he says, oh friend, you have a speck of sawdust in your eye. That must feel horrible. Let me get that for you. And the parallels to our spiritual lives and relationship are not hard to see. There's two questions really that Jesus asks here. He says, why is it easier to see the faults in others more than your own? Verse 3, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? This is somewhat connected to the spirit of judgmentalism. It's something we're all aware of. It's, it's really easy to spot the tiniest fault in someone else while graciously ignoring the massive faults in our own lives. And Jesus' point here is framed in such a way that says, how is that even possible? How can you even see the speck? without noticing the log in your eye. You would think that in the very process of examining someone else's life, that your own faults would readily rise to the surface. Right? If you're trying to see the speck in someone else's eye, inevitably that plank will start smacking them in the face a little bit, right? And it becomes obvious there's some hypocrisy here. But sadly, this is rarely the case. We don't see it. The second question he asked is, why are you trying to help others when you haven't dealt with your own sin. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? And the second question Jesus asks goes beyond simply noticing others' faults. He's asking, how in the world can you try to help others when you refuse to go through the process of looking at your own life? And so beware of a spirit of hypocritical kindness that notices the smallest faults in others and seeks to help, but ignores massive problems in your own life. Now, we need to be cautious not to conclude that helping others is only appropriate when your own life is perfect. In fact, one big part, purpose of this series is to help those of us who think, well, I mean, I know I've got sins, right? I know I've got issues. Am I paralyzed until I have my life completely together before I can help? No, that's not the case. If, that's the, if that were the case, no one would be helping anybody. Don't allow this truth to forever paralyze you from helping others out of a fear that there's probably a massive log that you're missing. But there's a difference between blind spots, which we all have, and massive planks sticking out of your eye. 
that when we talk about what we see in verses 3 through 4 isn't someone who's, who's generally aware of their own weakness and shortcomings and they're humbly admitting that. This is someone who is a hypocrite. This is someone who knows that they have sin in their life, that they know they have a big problem, but they ignore it for the sake of showing kindness to others. And if you ever want to know for sure if there is a log in your eye, if you're like, hmm, do I? I'm not sure. Just ask those closest to you. They will tell you. <laughs> They've probably been hit with it a couple of times. And then have the humility to try and acknowledge of it and repent of it. Are you willing to do that? Go to your spouse, go to your close friend, and be like, what are the two by fours in my life that I keep smacking you with and I don't seem to see? I want to know them. That'd be a tough question to ask, wouldn't it? It'd be a tough question, answer to receive. There'd never be a time when you're completely free from any fault, but at the very least, we should seek to help others with a spirit of humility that acknowledges our own shortcomings and a willingness to work on ourselves before working on others. And so that we make it fair for all of us, just so that we're on an even playing field here, okay? We don't want to sinfully take this passage and use it as an excuse to never accept help from others, right? by pointing out all the logs that we see, real or imagined, right? Everyone's a hypocrite, and so therefore I'm not receiving help from anybody. And oftentimes we might even manufacture two by fours in other people's lives to give us an excuse not to receive advice, right? They give true advice in love, but you simply say, well, yeah, but I saw them say this once. I don't have to listen to them, right? Again, what is that? You're now the judgmental one. <laughs> and now you have a spirit of harsh critique that is keeping you from growing and keeping others from growing. And so verse 5 presents us with both the problem and the solution in this scenario. What's the problem here? When you refuse to address your own sin before helping others, you won't even be able to see clearly enough to help effectively. In other words, your vision will be blurred You'll have spiritual myopia. You'll end up seeing the wrong thing and giving the wrong advice. And by doing so, you reveal yourself to be a hypocrite. So why do we need to look at ourselves? Why do we, why do we need to have a spirit of humility? Because if we don't, if we're prideful, if we're hypocritical, we're not even going to diagnose the problem. Our vision will be blurred. And so what's the solution? Well, Jesus tells us, first, take the log out of your own eye. Those who are the greatest help to others are the ones who are the most willing to repent of their own sins. And they are the ones who can see clearly enough to actually speak the truth in love. If your default approach is to first consider your own life before helping others, you'll be far more effective in building up the church in love. And in fact, for others to see you willingly examine yourself and dislodge the log from your eye will be of great help in and of itself. In fact, you'll be leading by example. And then you'll see clearly enough to assist your brothers and sisters in Christ 
in their spiritual growth. Beware of hypocritical kindness. Again, every single one of us have sins. Every single one of us have shortcomings. But if you know, yeah, I've got a massive problem in my life. Yeah, I have an unrepentant sin that I am just tolerating and dealing with. But I'm just going to brush that to the side and just try to help others with their problems. Just realize they see it. They see the hypocrisy. And oftentimes in our relationships, we, 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 we find ourselves in a stalemate, right? We both have the two by fours in our own eyes. And we're having like a jousting match the whole time with, with that. And, and, and just waiting for the other person to, to confess and repent and remove their sin before we remove ours. What does God call us to do here? Take care of yourself first. Remove the log from your own eye. These are two approaches, a spirit of harsh critique and a spirit of hypocritical kindness that sadly appear often in the church. They often appear in our own hearts. And a good dose of humility will be the solution to both. If you have sins, but you approach, you sins and weakness in your life, but you approach someone else in a spirit of meekness to help them with humility, ready to acknowledge your own faults and ready to repent, you'll be of great use in the, in the family of God. Are you seeing clearly? Are you ready to reach out and help? We all should be ready to reach out and help. We all should be reaching into each other's lives, to being in each other's business, where we're provoking each other to love and good works. But as we approach each other to speak the truth in love by using, delivering the truth of God with the love of God, we must first begin by stopping and looking in our own lives and just asking the Lord and saying, Lord, is there something I'm missing? Am I, am I, by my helping, am I being hypocritical? Lord, show me exactly where I might be falling short so that I might pursue a right relationship with you, that I might repent where I need to repent, that I can confess what I need to confess, so that I can see clearly to take the speck that is, out, that is in my brother's eye. Going back to the initial problem, right? That little piece of sawdust stuck in the eye. That's still a problem that needs to be fixed. That's still a brother or sister in Christ who needs help. We're not saying all of this, you know, avoid hypocrisy, avoid judgmentalism, and, and leave that speck in the eye. Just let people go around with, with specks in their eye. That's not what we're saying. We need to be helping them. We need to be reaching out to them. But before you do, remove the log that is in your own eye. Re avoid a spirit of harsh critique, hypocritical kindness, so that God can prepare our hearts and reveal our own faults so that we can humbly and genuinely speak the truth in love to one another. May God give us grace to do that again as we look this year in 2024, the, the goal, the mission of reaching, finding one person to reach and one place to serve. Let this be a starting point for you. Just ask God, God, would you show me if I'm seeing clearly so that I can speak the truth in love? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the practicality of your word. Lord, we thank you that you show us our own sin and our own pride. Lord, I pray you give us grace to avoid harsh critique, judgmentalism. We would avoid hypo hypocrisy and that we would humbly seek your face, that we would look to our own walks with you so that we can take steps in our growth with you so that we can help others around us. Give us the humility to do that so we can have the